All right, Encounter Church, how are you doing today? Everybody in the house, you guys good? Yes? It's good to see you, those of you online. I am so glad that you're a part of our online audience today. You guys, my name is Joe, and I'm the location pastor at our Fulton Heights location, and I'm loving this opportunity that we have to plant a new church over in that area, and I've been loving being on the Encounter team And I'm excited to teach today because we've got a message in the Further Faster series. The last couple weeks, Dirk has been opening these parables, these stories that Jesus talked about in Luke 15. He talked about a lost sheep. He talked about a lost uh, coin. And this morning, we're going to talk about a lost son. Are you guys good with that? You open to it? Great. If you have a phone, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, and if you don't have that with you, we've got scripture on the screens. And as you're turning there, I have a question for you. Have you ever had the question of yourself, how did I get here? Have you ever asked of yourself, how in the world did I get here right now? Uh, About 10 years ago, I had that question in a pretty dramatic way. For a couple years prior, I had been planning with a friend to take this like adventure of a lifetime. We had prepared and planned to live on a sailboat and we were gonna sail from Michigan to as far as we could get. The the goal was like islands like the Bahamas and Tahiti and Fiji and to make it hopefully to Australia. And you guys, it was a pretty incredible experience. But the first week, was, it was terrible. It was horrible. We left in October from South Haven, Michigan, and it was, you are shaking your head at me, like, why did you do that? That's a great question. I have the same question for myself. It was so cold, and if you know me, you know I already have a contentious relationship with cold weather. Like, this morning when I left, I had another jacket. I had two jackets on. There's no reason. Some of you jokers are in shorts right now. I don't get it. But we left from South Haven in October. We made it around the Great Lakes with the hopes of going through New York, down the Hudson, East Coast, that whole deal. And when we got to Lake Erie, we hit a storm that changed my life. It it was freezing rain for several days, freezing cold. I was terribly seasick. I was miserable, fetal position, in the boat, curled up, freezing, and the only question I had for myself was, how did I get here? Like, I have made a terrible, terrible mistake. Because the thing that I was expecting, the thing that I was hoping was like islands and palm trees and surfing and sunshine and I don't know, hula dancers. I I didn't know, but I was ready for the islands and what I experienced was something very, very different that first week. And I couldn't help but ask, how did I get here? And I've had a couple moments like that since. Most of them are around poorly planned adventures. I, I was in the Smoky Mountains on a hike completely unprepared for like an early winter storm that rolled in. I remember thinking, how did I get here on a double black diamond as a novice mountain biker, just looking at this like cliff and going, what am I going to do? But I've also had more serious moments when I've had to ask that question. Moments as a husband and as a father. Moments in my faith journey where someone I trusted and cared about confronted me on some behavior in my life that wasn't matching up with my beliefs. 
And my guess is you've had moments like that too. You've had how did I get here moments. Whether it's a busted relationship, maybe you found yourself in debt, maybe you've literally woken up and thought, how did I, how did I get here? We've had those moments. We've had the moment where we wake up, where we look around and we're like, how did I get to this school? How did I get to this job? How, why am I in a Burger King parking lot drive through twice in one day? Like, how did I get here? And whether you're in the middle of a how did I get here moment, whether you're on the backside of it, or whether you see one coming, I believe that Jesus has hope for us when we're asking those questions of ourselves. And, and honestly, even if you're not sure what you believe about Jesus, even if you're not sure what you believe about the Bible, none of us want to be defined by our darkest, lost, or most confused moments. So we turn to the scriptures here at Encounter Church because we believe that God speaks to us. And that is where we pick up this story from Luke 15. Verse 11 says this, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. A couple of things right out of the gate for the story. The first is this, and it's going to shape the entire time that we're together. The first is that the father is the main character. Verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The father is the main character. Now, the younger son gets all of the credit. He gets all of the attention in the story, but don't forget who the main character is, and that is the father. The second thing is, is that Jesus tells this story. As he tells it, remember that he's speaking to two different audiences. He's talking to the religious and political elite, and at the same time, he's talking to an audience that those folks would have considered sinners, that those folks would have considered so, on the social, social margins. And he's probably sharing a story that would have had relevance and that was probably influenced by real people of the day. So as the listeners were listening, they might have even thought, oh, I know that family. I know those folks. And I think it's important for us, too, thousands of years later, that we also think of this story as real people. Think of this as a real father. Think of this as a real son with a brother Think of the human emotion. Think of the cultural and family dynamics at play. It's not just a faceless story about just people that were made up. Think about the reality. So as far as the characters, we've got a younger son, uh, a younger son wanting to go his own way, wanting to find independence. Perhaps he too had an adventurous streak. And maybe he felt growing up like he could never measure up. Maybe he felt like he could never be as good as his older brother. Maybe he felt like he wasn't good enough to, to match the family expectations that were placed on him. 
And he approaches his father, and he makes a profound and very painful statement to his dad. Basically, culturally, what he would have been saying is, is dad, I want your stuff, and I wish that you were dead. I want your stuff now. Culturally, this would have been unheard of. The father would have been well justified to throw him out, to beat him, or worse. This never would have happened culturally. And yet the son comes and says, Can I, I want your stuff. And think about what this would have done for the father. Think about what this would do to your father. Now, I have three sons, three young sons. I would be devastated if my son selfishly approached me and he was more concerned about the stuff that I had and wanted nothing to do with me. I would have thought that the father would have watched with regret and sadness as he sees his son pack up his stuff and leaves. And then there's one other character that we don't hear much about in the beginning of the story, and and Dirk's actually going to speak about the older brother next week, so we don't want to miss that. But think about it from his perspective just for a second. Now, sibling dynamics are no joke. If you have brothers, if you have sisters, you know that sometimes the smallest thing can set off a family relationship. But this is probably years and years of this older brother looking at his younger brother and seeing him as a screw-up, seeing him as the baby who gets second chance after second chance after second chance, continued special treatment. And I'm guessing that years of this have built a wedge between them, that there's animosity and that the older brother is dealing with a significant amount of bitterness that didn't just start in this moment, but that's been going on for a lifetime. So it seems like Jesus gives us a story about a child whose poor decisions sadden his parents and alienate his siblings. And so this isn't just like a story that's out there. Even this family dynamic is pretty accessible in in today's world. But there's a spiritual dimension behind the story that we don't want to miss. So let's pick it up right as uh, the son loses all of his dad's money in verse 17. This is what Jesus continues to say. When he came to his senses, talking about the younger son, he said to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out. I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up, and he went to his father. Here it is, guys. Here it is. Here is the son's how-did-I-get-here moment. In the middle of a pigsty, he hits his rock bottom and starts to wake up to the fact that he has blown it, that the life that he pictured, the life that he hoped for, the life that he expected couldn't be further from reality. He realizes in this moment that he chose the father's riches over the father's relationship, He wanted the benefits of sonship without the commitment and the responsibility. And all of a sudden, this good Jewish boy is feeding pigs. And he's hungry and he's desperate and he reaches out for help and it says that nobody would give him any help because 
he's already earned a bad reputation even in this new place as someone who's not to be trusted. Now, what's interesting is he's in this pigsty. He comes to a moment of decision, and he puts a plan together. And that plan is to go back to the Father and request that he could work. And some scholars suggest that it's not just him trying to, like, find a job so that he can eat, but that his hope is that he would return to the Father in apology to pay him back. That he could maybe make restitution for the things that he had taken, maybe make it right. That is his hope in returning home, that he could earn it back, that he could show his mistake with the opportunity to repay his father so the son heads home with hopes of making it right. And it gets to verse 20. This is what Jesus continues to say. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to his father, this is his prepared speech, the one that he'd been working on in the pigsty and probably all the way home. He said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Think of the humility there. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And this is the response. But the father said to his servants, he looks back to the people that work for him, quick, quick, bring me the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring and put it on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Is this how you picture God the Father? Is this what you picture of a holy, imperfect, and good, just God in heaven? That he would run, that he would be undignified and wrap his arms around his son, that he would run and pursue and embrace and celebrate. This is the picture that Jesus gives us of our heavenly Father. That God runs to the ones who are heading home. That a perfect and holy God would run to the ones who are heading home. I think most people, myself included, think that the word prodigal means wayward. Think that the word prodigal means someone who's left and they're waiting for them to return. But the, the, like the dictionary definition of the word prodigal, this is what it says. Spending money or resources freely or recklessly, wastefully extravagant, giving something on a lavish scale. That's the definition of prodigal. And if that's the definition of prodigal, what this story shows us is that our Father is a prodigal God. That the God that we worship is reckless in his love. The God we sing to is prodigal. By that, we mean he's lavish in spending his grace. He's not stingy in his goodness. God is the main character of our story, and he is generous 
in his mercy. He's reckless in his distribution of forgiveness. He's wastefully extravagant in his salvation. My friends, he is God. He is all-powerful. And he gives us his forgiveness extravagantly because it's his to give. God isn't borrowing mercy and forgiveness and love and grace from someone else. He's not borrowing mercy and grace and forgiveness from some kind of random source. It is his to give. And this story shows that our God not only runs to us, but he gives extravagantly of his salvation and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Jesus has been on a rescue mission to bring us home. Jesus chased you down on the cross. He paid your debt, and he's the one that that brings out the robe and brings out the ring, brings out the sandals as you walk home to him because of what he's done. Paul in Ephesians 2 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. It's important to think that Jesus never had a how-did-I-get-here moment. Jesus didn't question his decisions. Jesus didn't have a moment of regret. He wasn't on the cross saying, Father, what have I done? How did I? No. He was saying, Father, forgive them. Jesus' sole purpose was to come sacrifice himself to give us access to the Father, to make a way so that we could come home to God. So this story, I think, gives us a couple important reminders as we walk out our faith journey. And the first one is this. We are always walking in the footsteps of the younger son. We're always walking in the footsteps of the younger son. And we're in probably one of three phases. We're either wandering away, we're either waking up, or we're walking home. If we're wandering away from home, and from the Father in rebellion and a desire to be in control of our own futures, if we choose the provision rather than the provider, if we choose the favor rather than a relationship with the Father, if we want control but expect God to cover our collateral and cosign on our rebellion, when we choose our way instead of God's way, we are wandering away from Him. So the first is we're, we're wandering away or we're waking up. We're waking up to the mess that we've made. We're waking up to our need for help outside of ourselves. Man, we're in that how did I get here moment. And maybe, maybe you're in school right now and you feel like you are over in over your head. You're broke and you are in need of help outside of yourself. You're waking up. Maybe seven months of a global pandemic lockdown has been brutal. Just maybe. I know it has been for me. And maybe for you, those seven months have fueled an addiction in your life that is now taking control the coping mechanisms that we all choose when we're trying to get through stressful situations, man, the thing that was helping you out 
early on is now holding you down and you are waking up to the fact that I need help because I can't do this on my own. That how did I get here moment is a pivotal decision point in our lives. Because it's that moment that we have two choices. When we wake up, we can go back to wandering and we can continue on that cycle of brokenness and isolation. We can choose the the wandering once again or we can head home. We can head home to the Father. And man, some people, guys, spend years in that cycle of wandering away, waking up, wandering away, waking up. But we're given the opportunity to head home. We're given the opportunity to see that God runs to the ones who are heading home. Maybe like the younger son, you're putting a plan together in your head, and once you get the plan right, then you'll come home. Once you get your act together, once you show that you can do it on your own, then you'll run home to the father. And this younger son shows us that, no, your plan isn't going to work. Your plan, you can't, you can't repay. You can't come back home and say, God, I, I want to make it right. I'm going to work, and I'm going to work this off, and I got this. No. When we run home, we realize that we can't repay. We can't make it right on our own. And we see that God greets us as daughters and as sons, and he welcomes us with the robe and the ring and the sandals, and he says, you're mine. Or maybe before you come home, you're trying to figure out the right things to say. You're trying to get your speech all prepared so that for that moment you will be ready and you're going to impress the Father with the right thing. You can't do it. You can't say the right things. All you can do is show up at the house and say, I want to, I want to come home. Father, I need you. Maybe you think two things. Maybe you think it's been too bad. Maybe you think you've screwed it up too much. Maybe you think that the word has gotten out, that God is not going to run to you because of what you've done, or that it's just simply been too long. It's been too many years. That God's eyes are no longer set on the horizon. He's no longer waiting for you. He's no longer anticipating your return. But Jesus tells us that God will run when you come home. It doesn't matter if it's been a day or a decade. That never let your distance from God keep you from returning to God. Because he's the prodigal God. He's reckless. He's extravagant. He's lavish. He's wasteful in his love for you. So all of us are in one of those steps. We're either wandering away, waking up, or walking home. And, and maybe it's smart for you just to, just in your own brain, go, which, which one am I? Which of the footsteps am I in? Am I, am I wandering away right now? Am I waking up to my need for his grace? Or am I walking home? And when you do choose to walk home, you will meet with a God who is running towards you to say, you were dead, but now you're alive. You were lost, but now you're found. And he will celebrate your return with an embrace, with weeping, with hugs. 
And he'll throw a party, and it's a beautiful thing because that's the kind of God that we follow. That's the kind of God that we worship. That when you walk home, God runs to you. And that's the kind of church that we want to be, right, Encounter? We want to be the kind of church that recognizes that we were all sons and daughters who wandered away. We were all sons and daughters that woke up to our need for God. We are all sons and daughters that when we walked home, we found God running to us. And what are we going to do? We're going to point the way home for everyone else that we meet. Dirk told me uh, that years ago, he considered naming Encounter Church Prodigal Church, which I think is kind of a cool thing. And it's not because this is a church full of like wayward people, although that is true. And we don't apologize for that. He wanted to name an encounter church because he knew that God the Father is the main character of this church, that he is extravagantly gracious and generous with his love, and we never want to forget that. And so for those of us that are sons and daughters, we love that Encounter Church is courageous about seeing people far from God find new life in Jesus, because we point the way back, because we were welcomed home, we're going to point the way for others to meet this generous God, aren't we? Which is why it's exciting that right now we are underway and we're taking on one of the most ambitious and courageous projects in our history because we want others to meet this generous God. We're excited about what God is doing through further and faster, and we're unapologetically asking you to be a part of it. We're inviting you to be a part of it. So for more information on that, I would love it if you were to watch this video. In 2010, a group of people crowded into my living room with the simple question of how do we bring our neighbors who are far from God to new life in Christ? The vision that would emerge out of those gatherings would come to be known as Encounter Church. And we started gathering and, and meeting in a school cafeteria that we had rented for only four hours a week. And as people started coming and as God started bringing people to him and in his heart and raising them up to new life and his son, Jesus Christ, we had dreamed of having a space where we can call our own, having a, a neighborhood that we could invest into, a neighborhood that we could bless and continue to bring our neighbors to Jesus. But the problem was it looked impossible. There was no way that we could ever spread out. There was no way that we could ever afford such a building for all these people that God was bringing. And then God did the impossible. I got a phone call from our realtor and we had been working on leasing this building for over two years and now our realtor was saying that the owners were ready to sell it to us at only a fraction of the listing price. God was giving us this impossible mission but doing the impossible in order that we may succeed. God was bringing us further than we ever thought possible, faster than we could have imagined. As we moved in and started renovating the space, every time we reclaimed a square foot, God would bring more people far from him to new life in his son, Jesus Christ. A little while ago, we celebrated uh, another baptism uh, worship weekend. It was incredible, church. We had, uh, we had somebody as young as 13, 14 years old dedicate their life to Christ. We had somebody as old as 72 years step out of the tank and to share with me that his only regret was not getting baptized sooner. Again, God was doing the impossible, pulling us further and faster than we could have ever imagined. The question before us now, where do we go next? 
Our facility was, was filling up. We were adding worship experiences. We had our eyes set on starting a new church, either west of where Encounter Kentwood was today, or either north, closer into the heart of the city. And we felt drawn to both of those areas for a variety of reasons. Last December, I convened a, a, a vision team meeting where we just discerned God's will together and poured over demographic information. And the results of that meeting of 30 people discerning God's will together was unanimously, each one of the individual five table groups came to the conclusion that God was drawing us north, closer into the heart of the city. And it looked impossible. It looked impossible again because into the heart of the city, there's no way that we could ever have afforded a, a permanent seven-day week space, cars for our guests to park their cars in the parking lot. We could never afford a, a, a kid's space for people to bring their children to. How was God going to do this? And again, a phone call came in from the leadership of this church, Mayfair Church, saying that they've identified Encounter Church as the church that could bring the 2,791 neighbors who live in and around Fulton Heights to new life in Jesus Christ. And what would a partnership between our churches look like? What would it look like for Encounter Church to come into Fulton Heights and bring people who are far from God to new life in Christ? Again, we could sense God was taking us further and faster than we ever thought possible. When I first started talking to Dirk about the opportunity to join the team at Encounter Church as the location pastor at Fulton Heights, I was so inspired by the story of the merger with Mayfair Church and Encounter. But really, it was the vision for the future that this location would not just be a more convenient option for the people in the city, but that this would be a place for you to invite your one that you would be able to invite your friends and your coworkers, your neighbors and your family, that this would be a missionary hub for you to live out the hope of Jesus Christ in Grand Rapids. I'm so excited for the work that we're doing in here now. We're renovating and, and this is gonna be an awesome building. The paint, the carpet, the new speakers, the video, all of it's gonna be incredible. But it's more than just a cool building. This is our opportunity to live out the hope of Jesus. This is our opportunity to care for this community, to serve this community. This is your opportunity to invite your parents, your roommates, your coworkers. And we're so excited to see how God is gonna keep working and how we're gonna go further, faster. So that's our vision, to bring people who are far from God to new life in Jesus Christ. And I can't tell you how thrilled I am to establish a new, a brand new missionary outpost here in Fulton Heights, as well as in Kentwood. A lot of people have asked me, is now really the right time to establish a brand new church with everything going on? And I'd just like to revisit the first part of our story that I shared, that the church launched in 2010. Well, the foundation of that church was laid in 2009, when I went from person to person, household to household, casting this vision of a church where people could invite their friends and neighbors and see them experience new life in Jesus. And I was met again and again with that same response. In a season that would be called the Great Recession, is now really the right time with everything going on? 
And church, we've seen God move in 2010. We've seen God take his church further and faster. And now we're about to see God move again in 2020 and beyond. I am so excited for you to look back on this season in 2020. When somebody asks you, what were you up to? How did you spend this bizarre season? And you can look right back at them and say, I laid the foundation for my church's greatest missional endeavor yet. What I'm asking for, church, very directly, is your partnership. I'm asking you to pray every single day from now until the end of the year. Pray for your one. Pray for the person that you desperately want to see come far from God to new life in Christ. Pray for the 2,791 people who live in and around Fulton Heights, Grand Rapids, who haven't yet experienced the love of Jesus. I'm also asking you to make a financial contribution. I'm asking you to sacrifice for a great cause of the kingdom. I'm asking you to, to move, maybe from having never had the opportunity to give to a church before, to make your first contribution to God's movement. I'm asking you to consider a move from an ongoing $25 gift a month to a one-time gift towards the, the further faster campaign that God is taking us on. I'm asking you to consider your household budget and where you can sacrifice for the joy of the new life that God is bringing. And maybe that's gonna look like $100, maybe that's going to look like $100,000. I'm asking you to participate with us in the joy of bringing people far from God to new life in Christ. And you can do that today by visiting encounterchurch.org slash give and partner with us in bringing God's gospel message further, faster than ever before. You can probably tell that I love that question. How did you spend this bizarre season that's gonna be known as the pandemic? And here at Encounter Church, what you need to know is that we serve a God who is recklessly extravagant. I don't know why we, we make these huge missional endeavors during global catastrophes. I don't know why that's our thing. But you know what? There's so much beauty behind what God is up to, how God has lavished this church with so many blessings again and again and again. Joe just shared the heart of the Father and the story that Jesus told when he, when he sees his kid come on over the hill coming home and he doesn't throw him out, he doesn't tell him off. He looks at his son and he says, get the, get the best robe out of the closet, that's my robe. Get, get a ring, put, uh, put it on his fingers, put sandals under his feet, kill the fattened calf. You've got to be kidding me because my kid has come home. It's recklessly over the top, extravagant, but that's the kind of God we serve. And church, that's the story that God is telling during this time. And gifting encounter this building and a daycare adjacent to the building and a quarter million dollar gift that I shared with you last week. And so much again and again and again, God is recklessly extravagant. Why? 
because he wants to see his kids come on home. He's standing on his toes as the father in this story. He's peering over on the hill every single day, just, just waiting for one of those 2,791 people to come on home. And so I'm going to ask, from now until next week, seven days, pray every single day. Pray for the 2,791 people in Fulton Heights who don't yet know Jesus. Pray for that one person in your life that you would love to see the Father run to and embrace. And pray whether or not God has asked you to step out and maybe for the first time make a, a financial contribution to a church. And I know for many of you that doesn't feel comfortable. That's not something that you've seen yourself doing in the past. And, and pray and just ask God, what does this look like? Maybe it's moving a gift from a recurring $10, $100 a month on up, making a one-time gift over and above. Because you want to see God's gospel message move forward further and faster than ever before. You know, I was sharing this vision with somebody at the church here, and they got so excited about it because they know that our church is a young one, which is probably puts it mildly. Our, uh, our survey showed that um, two-thirds of the uh, attending population of Encounter is between 18 and 29. And so they said, listen, I get it because I've been there. And God took a hold of my life and my marriage and my heart and when I was in my mid-20s and just wrecked it in the most beautiful way possible. And they were sharing this story with me about when Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mountain. He says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And she said, you know, we look at that oftentimes like it's a map just kind of indicating where you are, where your heart is. But what if Jesus also meant that as a GPS unit? That once you pour your treasure in somewhere, then your heart follows on after. And she said, so, so me and my husband, we sat down, we started doing that. We started pouring our treasure into to godly missional causes. And you know what? Our hearts started to follow along. And he brought us a joy that eclipsed all other joys that we've ever known. And I want that for you, they said. I want that for my church, for the people who have never had the opportunity to have the joy of generosity and partnering with an extravagant father. I want that. And so they said, this is what we're going to do. Every gift that comes in, the first 250 gifts, every single one is going to be met with another $100 grant. Because they wanted you to have the joy of partnering with a recklessly generous father. If it's a, if it's a dollar that you give in pledge next week, that, that automatically becomes $101. If it's $1,000, it's $1,100. You get it. $100 for every single unique gift. Why? Because somebody at the church here wants you to know the joy of coming home and partnering with an extraordinarily generous Father. Church, wherever you might be, I want to ask you to stand up. And we're going to keep on singing praises to our Father as you are. Yep, go ahead. Come on, we're going to keep on giving our glory and praise to the God in heaven who, who, knew, who, who owns it so much. Let's keep on worshiping together.